everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morato. If you're listening to this show live rather than on the podcast, you, my friend, are in for a treat because you are about to get a live play-by-play update and explanation to what is happening in the sky above you right now. Look up. Try and find the moon. Does it look any different to you than what it looks like on a typical night? Well, it should. Because we are seeing a full-fledged celestial event, the likes of which don't come around very often. And our Sherpa on this space journey is none other than Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky. He is a veteran radio and TV broadcaster and edutainer with a great deal of expertise in astronomy and space. And he's going to guide us through the next hour. We're also going to try and answer your questions He's going to be the one answering your questions. Don't worry, not me. And if you have questions about anything that's happening with the eclipse or with space, you can give us a call, 1-800-848-9222. If you're not interested in the moon, then you should turn up the volume even louder because he is the man that has the best voice in all of radio. It is my great pleasure to welcome back to the show one of our favorite guests, Steve Kate. Steve, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. And good morning, Frank. Good to be back on 77 WABC. But let me also congratulate you and the entire staff and John Castamatidis, you know, on this great phenomenal ratings that you're knocking it out of the park and out of the stratosphere on 77 WABC, my friend. Well, thank you very much. I I appreciate that. And uh, we're very blessed to have the the greatest audience in the world. And uh, I think it's in part guests like you uh, that are helping to attract them in such wide numbers. So thank you. All right. So um, break down for us exactly what we're seeing. What's the moon doing right now? Well, unfortunately, it's not happening, Frank, until Sunday. This is an Mm. eclipse that's going to take place Sunday. But it's great to be with you and the listeners. And I thought, with your permission, your show, just to go over eclipses for as much of the time that we can spend and always things that the audience wants to hear. But this is interesting. And I thought I'd give a little primer on the differences between these types of eclipses. So, folks... And Frank, get ready, because Sunday night into Monday morning, we're going to experience the first of what would be, I think, two great total lunar eclipses. And to start off, a little bit of the sacred geometry, what's happening. Now, many people may know this, but some don't. So here we go. The cause of these eclipses is the fact that the Earth blocks the light that the moon normally gets. And that's rare, and I call it sacred geometry, because in the celestial way, if we looked at all of these objects, a full moon has to be 180 degrees in alignment with the sun so that it makes sure that there's no shadow effect on the edges of the moon. Now, that's a little technical for this early. But what we're going to be seeing is this particular eclipse that's going to happen Sunday night, and hopefully the weather will be good for the entire listening area. I'll give the times here, of course, in Eastern Daylight Time. And, of course, the listeners across the nation just calculate the time schedule. So what you're going to be seeing When that moon moves into one of the two shadows that the Earth projects or every planet projects into space, the moon gets in that shadow. The outer shadow, which you hardly would notice at all, is called the penumbral part of the eclipse. That's not something that I'm really excited about. I've watched hundreds of these different types of events, literally. Penumbral is really not that exciting. But in Eastern Daylight Time, Sunday evening, May 15th, it starts at 9.32 p.m. Why do I mention it? Because it's a good time to get ready for the next big event that's happening. So in Eastern Daylight Time, the partial eclipse begins. What we're going to see is the moon is sliding into the deeper shadow called the Earth's umbra. It's pretty big in the sky. So if you could see the shadow, it's there every month. It's just that the moon doesn't go through it. 
1027 p.m. Eastern Daylight with clear skies or partly cloudy skies, you'll notice this dent out of the upper left edge of the moon. Now, if we were on the surface of the moon, things would be really exciting. We would naturally see the Earth covering up the sun. Now it gets even better. The total eclipse, what we're really talking about, what makes this thing the super blood moon, 11.29 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, still Sunday, May the 15th. The moon goes deep, Frank, into the Earth's umbra. And if we were to get really precise, if you looked at a big circle, the moon will be gliding, as we call it, the descending node, meaning it's diving down along the ecliptic, you know, the zodiac path. And this time it's going to go almost central into that. So, th so for people out there that have heard of a blood moon, the reason that it even turns red is if you were standing on the lunar surface, you would see this gigantic ring around the Earth. And whatever weather is around the edges of the Earth, and I'll get into more about why this may be a really deeper eclipse than, than usual, you would see that. And by the way, from the lunar surface, none of us are there. The Earth is four times the size of the full moon that we would see here. The maximum eclipse in Eastern Daylight Time is on 12.11 a.m., on the morning of the 16th Monday. So we have lots more to say about it. But Frank, this is a spectacular event for people to see. Why? Because it's not dangerous to the eye like a solar eclipse. Mm. It requires nothing other than, you know, an interest. It's romantic. It's beautiful. People with the great smartphones today, wow, these phones can take better pictures than we had cameras, what, 15 years ago. Imagine that. No. So... There's a lot coming up. Uh, first of all, I appreciate you clarifying my error that the eclipse is taking place Sunday into Monday, not uh, right now, even as we no. speak. And that's good. So even the folks that are listening on the podcast, they can prepare uh, their eclipse watching parties accordingly. Mm -hmm. How common is a lunar eclipse? Well, it's maybe more common than most people think. We can get a couple of these in a year, but sometimes we have a drought. And just to be more specific about this, it goes really into the deep, deep science of eclipses. And we talk about something called a Seros cycle. Now, this is a repetitive cycle that happens throughout astronomy, 18 years plus some days and hours, meaning that if you stood on the Earth somewhere, a similar eclipse of a Seros cycle. And this particular Seros group is called cycle number 131. This is 34th of 72 eclipses, 15 of which are total, quote, moon types eclipses and they all started back a long time ago when we weren't around in 1553 AD and this Sero cycle ends in a time when we're probably not going to be here we'll be floating around somewhere else in the year 2563 AD so these eclipses can be depending on where you are on the earth if you miss this one there's a slight chance the eastern you know part of the United States gets the next eclipse good visibility more so for the Pacific and the, and the western states, the morning of November the 8th. So they happen a couple of times a year. Then there's a couple of years maybe where there's a drought because they actually happen on the other side of the Earth. But they're so fascinating, Frank, because if you look into the history of total lunar eclipses, there's a great story about Christopher Columbus when he sailed allegedly into Jamaica. He, of course, knew astronomy. I didn't say this was right, what he's about, what we're about to talk about, but allegedly, and some people say he didn't do this, but some scholars say that he went to the islands. He took advantage of the indigenous people and said to them, hey, look, I'm running out of food. I'm running out of you know, equipment. I'm running out of things I need. And I will turn that moon red <laughs> if you don't give me what I want. And you know what? Some stories, and I really shouldn't laugh about this because it's not nice to do this to people. But guess what? According to the stories, and some of these are pretty verifiable, he did get what he wanted. But there's an interesting sidebar to this. 
He knew, and think about this, how in good God's name did we know how to predict eclipses like this right. back in 1503? Because even he, Christopher Columbus, was making monthly payments on his iPad, I think. Kidding. Imagine they didn't have, they didn't have one. So that's a whole other story of how people even calculated these things. But it's, it's a great thing. Now, we haven't even gotten to the opposite side of the eclipses, and that is the whole phenomenon of solar eclipses. So these eclipses are great. The moon, just for those out there that are interested more in the astrological side of the world, the moon will lie in the zodiac sign, the only non-living sign we like to call it, Libra, the scales or balances. Why is that important? Because when totality occurs, and I've seen this many times, Frank, in the darkest location you can get, even city dwellers can see most of this, the moon will look like this Chinese lantern that you just illuminated by candle. And it's so surreal because the sky in that part of the area is deeply embedded just to the left is where the Milky Way is. So I've taken binoculars. Everybody can do this. When the moon in full totality, you may see stars right at the edge of the moon as the moon's gliding and covering them. They're called occultations. But in the darkest of skies, let's say somebody's up in New York State or wherever they're listening, if they have dark skies, well, of clear skies, I should say, you'll have dark skies with the eclipse. It'll look so strange because it'll almost look like this three-dimensional bubble or balloon in the air. And you know what? If we were on the northern part of the moon, Frank, we would see the deepest of eclipse but here's the other part that I wanted to mention. This eclipse may be deeper and darker. And I've seen an eclipse back in the 1980s when I lived in New Jersey that because of the thing I'm going to describe, mm. heavy doses of volcanic dust in the atmosphere. Remember in January, we had the explosion of the Honga Tonga submarine volcano. And that thing put up so much dust into the stratosphere that it may theoretically block the moon from its red condition to maybe turning it to something unbelievable, like a garnet color, because of the lack of transmission through the atmosphere with this dust. Take a look any night in the sky, and if you see these purple sunsets, it's still caused because of the volcanic dust still up in the stratosphere. This is amazing. It is indeed. So all told, I guess it lasts just shy of three hours, Sundays, Sunday into Monday's lunar eclipse? It continues for longer parts. So if we, if we just negate, because there's no reason to worry about seeing the penumbral faces, that's almost ludicrous, because you see, like, for those that are really diehard observers, eh, you may see a 2% change in the, in the intensity of the moon. But for this one, Frank, you're looking at many, many hours over the course of time, and I think it's just something that everybody would like to see. And here in Arizona, you know, we've been on a media tour all day long from television, as I mentioned to you before in one of my texts, mm. that the reason I mention that is I want to mention to this great audience on 77 WABC, if you want to know, we put together, I put together a little eclipse, kind of like a survival guide, I like to call it. So at KTAR.com, if you go there and go to our blog on the menu section, for everything that you're not going to hear in a short hour, I'm grateful for the time, Frank, believe me, there will be a lot of information there and even ways to learn how to take pictures if you're one of those people out there with one of those DSLR-type cameras, and, well, I never get any luck. I, I should I use my little iPhone 7, and it still works. But if you're that kind of person who wants to take some exceptional pictures, there's some links to great sites. Mm. Uh, no, that's uh, that's great to know. Now, I know when, when it's a full moon, mm -hmm. it, it's not as if the moon goes from a crescent moon to a half moon to a full moon in three days, the moon looks almost full for the day before, a couple of days before, uh, yes. and it looks mostly full a couple of days after right. the full the full full moon. Will this red lunar eclipse 
Will the moon look any different tonight, tomorrow night, Saturday night, as opposed to any other night? Or will it be a function of on Sunday when the the, the night of the lunar eclipse takes place? That's when it's going to look awfully different compared to what we're used to. Well, absolutely. Again, you can have an eclipse of the moon unless the moon is that 180-degree distance in line from the sun and the earth. The earth's blocking the light out. We're the, we're the blocker. But here it is. And you're right about this. A very interesting question. I've noticed it. Everybody notices the moon looks full for three or four days. But the reality is what makes the moon really technically full, and this gets super technical and we'll make it easier here, when it's 180 degrees away in alignment, straight line, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll see virtually no shadows on the edges of the moon. So let's say a two days before or a day before, unless you really have a telescope, and most people would not be concerned about it because it doesn't affect them, other than it still looks full, you can have a few days on either side of the, quote, full moon, where you find this almost looks identical. So yes, the eclipse can only happen on that specific time. And by the way, this particular eclipse has an interesting name. It's called officially, if you want to go into the record books here, the full flower super blood moon. Wow, Love that's it. a lot to say. Flower moon because of the calendar, like the Farmer's Almanac and Native American tribes named so many of these moons in symbology. But now we find out that this moon is called what? A super moon, because this is not really an astronomy term, folks. This is more of a, you know, in the world of astrology, they came up with this concept when the moon is close to the Earth and it's full. We do have some astronomy to talk about. This moon's about 224,000 miles away from us. We have a few more of these this year. So why not take what we can get as opposed to the last time we were on the air, Frank? I think we did this back mm, in November. Right. We had the opposite effect where the moon was a tiny mini moon. So this one, get your cameras ready, folks, and hopefully pray for clear skies. Find a couple of days before. This is where people, I think, can be really helped by, by this program and by this information. Don't wait till the night of the eclipse and say, oh, well, I heard that it's going to pop up over here. The moon will rise to the right of east. That's east-southeast. You can look up on the you know, web exactly where in the azimuth, you know, 90 degrees is east. It's like 113, so it's to the right of east. But find a place, obviously, that doesn't have trees or buildings. And if you live in one of those high buildings, you'll probably have, you know, bless you, if you have a patio, imagine that, that overlooks the sky and there's nothing in the way, all you have to help for is no clouds. But a lot of people will miss some of the part of it. The most thing, important thing I'm talking about is, isn't that beautiful when the moon is rising? It gives that effect of looking even super than a supermoon. And that's what pictures in the romantic part of this. And we don't want to forget about the romance, right, Frank? Uh, that is for sure. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky. Uh, you can check out his uh, Dr. Sky blog at ktar.com. All sorts of great space information on there. If you have questions about uh, Sunday night's lunar eclipse um, or questions about what's happening or what you could observe during it, give us a call. 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. We're going to do our best to answer as many of the, your questions as possible. Um, the weather on Sunday into Monday, is that likely to play any role in the visibility in our area of this lunar eclipse? Well, I'm a meteorologist, but I can just tell people, obviously, with your staff and many other places around the country, that people can just go to out from National Weather Service or your favorite, you know, place on the web. I'm hoping, obviously, if you have clouds, it's going to impede a lot of the view. And in some places, if God forbid, it's totally cloudy, 
you'll probably want to go on the Internet and search for live video mm. of this. And in today's world, we can do that. But no, you need a clear sky. But sometimes, how about this? The romance side of this, how about this? Even with a partly cloudy sky, I think there's nothing more beautiful, right, folks? When you look out and see that moon, let's say the Atlantic Ocean or the beach, and you see the light of the moon shimmering on the waterline, and the cool breeze, boy, Frank, isn't this great? That's beautiful. You don't have to have a totally clear sky. But when you're looking at the eclipse, it's going to last. Think about this. The totality lasts for 84 minutes. In Phoenix, a lot of people, and I'm sure the whole entire 77 WABC listening audience, obviously they could do this too. Imagine the parties that you could have. How about a nice barbecue out in the, in the late night or even in the evening for out here in the West, and people come up with all kind of concoctions for adult beverages oh, where sure. they can. And this could turn itself into a, an amazing night for people. How about that? Uh, no, absolutely. So the greatest eclipse will be around uh, 10 after midnight Eastern time. Yes. Great. Well, that's Correct. exciting. All right. And well, it lasts, and it ends, the totality, I should ends, say, ends at 12.53 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Just convert your times across the time zones. Uh, we're going to continue with your calls in just a minute. Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky, is here talking about this upcoming lunar eclipse this weekend. It's a very big deal. We're excited about it. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. If you have questions for Dr. Sky, we'll take your questions straight ahead. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. You saw me standing alone Without a dream in my heart Without a love of my own Blue moon You knew just what I was there for You heard me saying A prayer for Someone I really could care for The great Dean Martin singing Blue Moon. Well, this Sunday, you may not see a blue moon, but you will see a red moon, a lunar eclipse uh, that uh, should be, depending on the weather, pretty visible for those of us in our area. And we have the go-to eclipse expert on radio with us this hour, Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky, helping us um, understand what it is we're going to be seeing and what we should be looking for. Uh, because it's a pretty neat thing. It's a pretty special thing. Yes. 800-848-WABC. A whole bunch of folks eager to talk with you, Steve. Let me begin with uh, Mary Beth on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth. Good morning, and thank you for doing this show. Oh, thank you. Um, and Dr. Stey, you do have a magnificent voice, as well as all the knowledge that you give us. So thank well, you. Thank, thank you, Mary Beth. That's very kind. 
You're welcome. Um, I am finding, um, and this was surprising to me, um, three people called me today with um, horrendous situations that had just happened to them. I mean, it was like out of the blue. And I noted myself that, you know, things were a little off today. What exactly is it with a full moon that's coming and especially an eclipse? Because I've heard people even in stores say, wow, a lot of crazy stuff going on today. What's that all about? Or am I just being ridiculous? No, very interesting points in the world of astronomy and also astrology. Obviously, when the moon's gravitational pull gets closest, remember, in astronomy, when the moon is closest to us, we call it perigee, and that happens on the 17th. Now, women are going through childbirth. They may, may have experienced a lot of differences because of the gravitational changes that the moon will pull on the earth, just like tides. But there's something, and I don't normally talk about astrology, but I have respect for those that obviously are much into the astrology world. Maybe the simplest answer, Mary Beth, that I can give you is, guess what? The planet Mercury, to many people, is very, they're very concerned about this in astrology. It went into retrograde starting on the 10th of, of May. So maybe there's something to that, you think? <laughs> that could be one of the answers. But the moon's gravity pull on the Earth, there's all kinds of stories about that. And obviously, we're going to have another one of those on the 17th. It's called Bridgie. That's why this is called a supermoon. Thanks, Mary Beth. Great question. Appreciate it. Uh, by the way, you mentioned we're having another um, lunar eclipse in November. And I know you said lunar eclipses are not nearly as rare as solar eclipses. I, I would think having two lunar eclipses within the same year, I would think that is pretty rare, right? It can be, Frank. I mean, again, sometimes these, again, when they say two lunar eclipses, we have to remember that, and again, I don't have all the particulars right at this moment for the one in November, other than the fact that it's more likely favorable for the western states, like where I am in Arizona, and people out in the Pacific Ocean. But talking, if I may shift gears just for a moment here, talking about solar eclipses, this is where the, the rubber meets the road, as we would say, in the world of astronomy. These are things that people need to be concerned about, not to scare people, but you simply do not ever... Normally, obviously, I don't look up. I don't think normal people stare at the sun just to stare because of the overpowering light and the damage the eye can, can get. But the next major total eclipse in America, and this is one that I hope, with your permission, we can talk about for quite a long time sure. in the future. The April 8th, 2024 eclipse that will take place. It's another one of the great American total eclipses. We had the one back in August, which I was fortunate, and maybe many people saw too, August the 21st of 2017. We were deeply embedded in Idaho. There's only 698 days. What? 698 days till that eclipse. But that's something people want to prepare for because you probably won't get to see another one of these like that for quite a long time. And what I mean, you probably won't see another American eclipse like that until around the year 2045. But Frank, this is also fascinating. Imagine this particular eclipse. Here we go, folks. Jot this date down. August 2 of 2027. This eclipse is primarily over the Sahara in Africa, and it actually skirts its way down along the Nile in Egypt. And guess where it gets very close to? Not exactly over the pyramids, but over some of the other sacred you know, sculptures that are there. Hmm. Can you imagine being in those cities? And I'm not a scholar on Egyptology, but I'm sure many listeners are. That would be one knock it out of the park. Absolutely. 
Imagine seeing that. So maybe we have the future. What, Frank? The 77 WABC caravan that (laughs) goes to Egypt or the one in America. That's a thing if you haven't seen one. That's outstanding. Uh, It sounds like a fun listener trip to me. 800-848-WABC if you have a question for Dr. Sky. Let's say hello to Pete on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, Dr. Sky. Uh, Yeah, I looked up. I saw that eclipse. It was really – and Frank, I'm sorry – it was really uh, breathtaking. I enjoyed watching it. I'm I'm glad that it's not the eclipse like uh, during the uh, daytime with the sun where you right. can hurt your body. Solar eclipse, right. Right. Solar well, eclipse. Pete, you know? Yes, good morning, Pete. This is amazing stuff to talk about because so many people have never experienced the total. I talk to so many people like everybody does, and when you bring this subject up, they say, oh, yeah. I saw a total solar eclipse. I said, really? What'd you see? Well, half the, you know, half the sun was covered. Well, the beauty of seeing one of these, and this is just something that I hope everybody who made the people who've listened, I mean, who've, who've seen these, I hope they call in to share their experiences. Let me not be the only one testifying about the beauty of a total solar eclipse, but the warning that I give everybody out there, and this is something crazy. And Pete, maybe you were in on this too. The last total eclipse or the last eclipse, there was a whole bunch of these solar, Solar glasses that were sold. And I got caught up in the scam myself. I ordered some. I won't mention from mm. where. But I got some of these, and I looked. <laughs> I held them up to the sun, and it was no better than if I had two pairs of sunglasses on. Now, that's dangerous, mm. and they sold them as solar glasses. So when you go out, there's a certain type. Hopefully, we can talk about this in the future. There's a certain ISO type of rating, and anybody could put it on there. But you don't want to damage your eyes. You want to enjoy this. But there's nothing, again, more beautiful, in my opinion, that I could see in the astronomical world than seeing the moments of totality when people literally, their jaws drop, they look and they forget about their earthly concerns. I'm serious. And it's just like transforming yourself to another place in time. It's amazing. Absolutely. Thanks, Pete. 800-848-9222. Spencer is in Philadelphia. Hello, Spencer. Have you ever seen Uranus with your neck? Oh, very very good, Spencer. Thank you. Well, wait a minute. No, I mean, he's got a point, even though it's a little tongue-in-cheek there. But no, seriously, and I'll go the serious route on that. I always pronounce the planet as Uranus because we do a lot of kid programs and children. But seriously, the planet Uranus is technically visible to the naked eye on a super dark night. I can't say I've seen it. But I found it in binoculars. So how about that response? There you go. Hey, um, you, we gave you a curveball, and you uh, knocked it out of the park. Uh, Paul is in Manhattan. Hello, Paul. Hi, Steve. Hi, Frank. Hi. Um, Good morning, Steve, Paul. Uh, Steve, about a month and a half ago, you were on with Frank, and yes. the topic of Roswell came up. Yes. And you said that you had a, a deep interest in the Roswell mysteries. I sure have. I've spoken there many times, and I was kind of attacked by some people, uh, not physically, but verbally saying that I was a government agent. They were saying to me that I'm a disbeliever. And all I was doing there, I was giving a program, Paul, about how to be a better sky watcher. In other words, 90% of the things in the sky are probably answerable, not because I wrote the book, but because if you learn the nighttime sky, respectfully to the people that don't know this, you go out there and then the 10% that we know are not planet stars by name, then we're interested to hear that. But please continue. I'm sorry. Okay. So you so that means you're pretty well versed in the various mysteries and lore surrounding Roswell. I'm pretty survive I mean I'm pretty versed in it but go ahead with your question. I just like to know I yeah. just like to know have you ever heard about the UDT related theory and do you give that any credence to that? No, tell me about that because I'm I'm totally at loss for words on that. To, to explain that to me well, a little bit. Well, the UDT is the underwater um 
uh, uh, detonation team, the Naval Special Forces in 1947. Oh, okay. okay. And that they um, made an attempt to basically go to the Roswell base and uh, mm -hmm. hijack, uh, steal an atom bomb that they mm -hmm. had deployed at the base. And wow. things went wrong. And there was a never huge cover-up around that, and it's never been disclosed till this day. Yeah, Paul, that's not something I'm up on either. If there's anything you could email me on that, uh, I'd certainly be uh, very interested in But thanks for bringing that, it up, and thanks for that, mentioning well, it. No, Paul, most, thank you. And I, yeah, go ahead. The most interesting aspect of that theory is that most people have never heard of that right. theory, and it's entirely the most plausible theory I've ever heard. Hmm. Well, Paul, I want to add something to this. My visitation to Roswell many times was to the hangar at the 509th Bomb Group. And that reason we went there, that's allegedly where the bodies of these so-called extraterrestrials were flown out of. But the 509th was responsible, I believe, during that period in time in the war for all of the nuclear stuff that went on. And I remember this from an interview that we did. Believe it or not, I had a chance to talk to Paul Tibbetts, who was the pilot, and a lot of the crew on the Enola Gay. And I kept asking him questions about Roswell. And basically, it was like, you know, he had bulletproof armor. Every time I'd ask him a question on that, so you may be onto something, they wouldn't even answer me at all as if I didn't know what I was talking about. Hmm. How well, about that? It's not, it's not my theory. I've heard it no, from no, other, certain other people. But even somebody like you who's well-versed in it has never even heard of that theory. I'm also it's, honest with the audience. And you know what? With Between Frank and I, I think we got a little bit of a homework to do, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. No doubt about it. Oh, Paul, I love it. Frank, I'll be in touch with you. About Thank it. you. Please do. Yeah, you got my email. If anyone else wants to email me, uh, they can do so at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Meantime, if you have any other questions about anything otherworldly or space-wise, now's the time, 800-848-9222. I know you mentioned that uh, we're going to have a pretty good view of this lunar eclipse Sunday in our area, and you guys in Arizona are going to have a uh, pretty good view of it. How? Just curious, how much of the planet is going to have a good view of this lunar eclipse on Sunday? Well, this is the best question I've gotten in 24 hours, Frank, and I mean that sincerely. We're going to see this over a wide part of North America. If you were out in a boat, let's say, somewhere in the Caribbean, where this will be absolutely at its best, but not necessarily for your neck if you don't have a chiropractor on board, this would be directly overhead in areas in the Caribbean, say, closer to South America. So this, this whole eclipse starts, as we see, into the Atlantic, we see it across the United States, up in Canada. We see it skirt down into South America. So it's a pretty wide, wide area. Excuse me. The problematic thing with total solar eclipses is just the opposite. You have a tiny cone of light, or darkness, I should say, coming out from the shadow of the moon. And it literally is like you took a laser and went across the surface of the Earth. Many people don't know this, but the umbral shadow of the moon, when it crosses the Earth for a total solar eclipse can be anywhere as skinny as maybe 50 miles to maybe 100 or 200 miles wide. And you need to be right into that area. So the closer you are, uh, you know, eclipse freaks say wow. this, got to be on the center line. So the April 8th, 2024 eclipse is going to have its best visibility in northern Mexico in some inhospitable areas in the mountains. But the best areas are going to be seen for over, imagine this, four and a half minutes of totality a total solar eclipse can never last on Earth more than 7 minutes and 40 seconds. I know this, but the reality is I've never seen one that long. But in certain areas of Texas, that's where we're hoping to be. As I mentioned before, ideally, we'd like to be in Dealey Plaza. It's a very sad place we all know sure. from American history. But imagine in the middle of the day, like around 1230, in a clear sky, knowing what happened there years and years ago, how sad. 
but seeing this unearthly event take place where the shadow, you literally see the shadow. If you turn your back, it comes at you as if you're on a movie set where they dim the lights. The shadow's traveling at over a thousand or more miles per hour. And then boom, you get those four minutes. Don't stare at the sun without solar glasses until it's a hundred percent covered, but that'd be a great place to be. And we're looking for other places to be. And who knows, Frank, maybe we'll turn this into a, Giant 77 WABC expedition. That sounds good to me. Paul is in Westport, Connecticut. Hello, Paul. Well. Paul, what's on your mind? Oh, I was going to say one night they were talking about the eclipses, but one night I was standing on my porch looking out, and I saw a bust about a chunk of an asteroid, and it looked like, you know, bigger than a car flying by. Yes. So I was going to ask the doc yes. or who you have on about uh, how fast he thinks it's going. I could see the trail of the light spectrum. Yes. What you're seeing, possibly, possibly, Paul, what you saw was a giant fireball or something called a bolide. And those things, as hard as it is to believe, are traveling across the sky when they come into the Earth's atmosphere at maybe fifteen to 20,000 miles an hour. So if you were lucky enough to see one of those things... Did it have a trail, you said, behind it? Like it left a jet trail, like a contrail? Yeah, a trail like you could see the whole light spectrum, the different yeah. colors behind it. It started out as red, what... and it went into some purples and greens. Oh, yeah. You were lucky to see something that most people can't see in a whole lifetime. So I consider you very lucky. You probably saw, I don't know exactly, but more likely a fireball or what they call a bolide if it was that bright or that long-lasting. Thank you, Paul. Frank is on Long Island. Hello, Frank. Hey, uh, hi, Steve. <clears throat> Thanks for yes. wonderful observations. But Thank you, sir. Just a question. I'm not sure if you believe uh, that we're being visited every once in a while, but if you do, how do you reconcile the, the absolute need for these things wherever they're coming from, even from around the corner, 300 years away, light years away, how do they travel at the speed of light? Well, that's Any interesting because, that? no, I, no, you really, I'm, I mean, I'm full of, full of opinions. They are doing that somehow. Right. I'm, a, I'm full of opinions on this, Frank, but here's, here's generally what I think. I go back to this theory that I kind of came up with after time. How come we've never seen anything? I don't have a sh- credible shred of information or piece of anything that anybody can show me. Let's it's deep sixth and they hit it in some vault like in you know Raiders of the Lost Ark. The reality is this. I don't know. Our physics doesn't tell us that anything goes faster than the speed of light, at least as the conversation is right at this moment. There's all these different theories. Some of these things, you know, that, that are called tachyons, blah, blah, blah. We could go into a longer discussion sometime. Right. But I'm, I'm kind of the opinion of this, and I know this may sound hard to people. I'll say it once again, Frank. I believe that we couldn't all get along on the earth there. I know that's pretty obvious. Just look around. Mm. You know, sad, sad to talk about bad things. But the reality is, let's say the world was destroyed. As Stephen Hawking said, we need to get off the planet, maybe a nuclear war, climate crisis, whatever. I think humans went underground and AI took over. And there was a melding between AI and the human species and some kind of biological thing, just like Elon Musk is trying to work on these neural links. And we're talking hundreds, if not thousands of years into the future. Maybe what we're seeing, or these transfigurations of objects in the sky like Tic Tacs, could be relatively something who they know how to move through time and space. We don't know how to do that. The fourth dimension is time. So I'm saying, I don't know if there's spacecraft from another world. I believe there's probably life out there. But I'm vexed on how they got to go the speeds like you're talking about beyond the speed of light. 
That's crazy. So even from here, let's say we went to Alpha Centauri, you know, the great place that the, you know, the sci-fi shows Lost in Space went to. They left the Earth allegedly in 1997 on the Jupiter 2. I love it. I have a model of it sitting on my desk here. But even then, their speed, let's say they could go the speed of light. That's four and a half years traveling at the speed right. of light just to get to another little star. That's why I'm saying I think it all matters where somehow, I know I sound a little off the wall on this, but maybe not. Maybe most people think it's cool. It's a theory that the ability to travel faster than light, I don't know if that's necessarily the way things are happening right now, if there is extraterrestrial life. I think it's something from our future that's come back. And the craziest part of it is I think AI melded into the, to the biology so that these tic-tac objects that are being seen, they're sentient beings. In other words, it's actually like an organ or a heart. It's something biological and also, wow. I hate the word electronic, but Frank, do I sound like I need a shot of uh, whiskey? or do N- I need No, <laughs> no, no oh, more so yeah. than me. No more so than me. Oh, no, well. no, no. I mean, it's just a theory. I, I, I haven't published. I'm, I'm no scholar in that regard in, the, in saying that. I'm just giving an opinion. But Frank, I want to hear what you think. Well, you know, I, I, I believe that people are seeing these things. Oh, yeah. And they, and they just no explanation for them. But you just offered a potential explanation for them. That Maybe potentially, you know, and I just right. in my in my heart of heart, I I can't imagine that intelligent life has figured out how to travel millions of years with just a neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, Frank, at at multiple speeds of light. But what you proposed right. is is something that could explain some of these observations. Thank you very much. Thank you, Frank. Well, Frank one one it. last quick comment. What Frank is saying, think of it this way. My basic, basic evidence comes from smarter people than me. The great nuclear physicist Enrico Fermi, he came up sitting having lunch with Robert Oppenheimer on this concept. Now he, it's, it's, now it's called the Fermi paradox. Why have we, we sent all these signals out into space? Mm. How come we've never had a response? So maybe there's something what they called, or he called, the great filter that's preventing some sort of ability for us to communicate out there. Or maybe this intelligent species out there doesn't want to be bothered with us, but I still go back to something more localized, and I think it has a lot to do with what we call quantum physics and quantum mechanics. We're learning so much stuff, Frank. Think about com- quantum computers. They would make the present Internet be so obsolete because they work in something called qubits, which is something in the, internal to the atom that's more bizarre than just moving you know, little bits and bytes across the primitive technology, even though it's cool. There's stuff out there that I'm sure would just baffle our minds. You know, uh, just to go back to the the eclipse uh, for a second, a couple of terms that we that you've been using, um, super moon um, uh, and yes. flower moon. Um, you can have a super moon or a flower moon without a lunar eclipse, right? Or can't you? You can absolutely. So, in other words, the part that I'd delete from that would be the blood moon. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the blood moon is not an astronomical term. I mean, there's a lot of people who write in the religious sense, this is cool, in the eschatological area, which is what? The prophecy of the talk, what happens in end of times. I mean, looking back to the end of the Bible, as far as the last book of the Bible in Revelations. But the interesting thing is, you write, you can have a full moon like you do every month. And this particular moon is called the full flower moon. It has probably 12 other names. Go pick the one you want. Native American cultures, God bless them, they pick these. And they, had a, they know a lot. They, I didn't say they knew a lot. They know a lot. And yes, you can have a supermoon, quote, close to the Earth, or I call it, in a true astronomy term would be, this would be a full flower moon 
or a near perigee moon. But they talked about it and says, well, it's a supermoon because it's in this distance. But the blood moon would only be part of it if it were a total eclipse of the moon. 800-848-9222. We're to continue with your questions in just a minute. Uh, Dr. Sky is here for the hour talking about the uh, supermoon, the blood moon, the lunar eclipse that we're going to be able to watch this weekend. If you have questions, uh, you can give us a call. 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Never let it fade away. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, save it for a rainy day. For love may come and tap you on the shoulder some starless night. Just in case you feel you want to hold her, you'll have a pocket. Pocket full of starlight, catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Never let it fade away. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Save it for a the great Perry Como singing about catching a falling star. If you ever want to know, if you ever want to know the music, we're playing on this show. Join our Facebook group. Just on Facebook, search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. Uh, my guest for the hour is Steve Cates, aka uh, Doctor Sky. Uh, you could check out his Doctor Sky blog at ktar.com. Man with not only a lot of knowledge but the best voice in all of radio. I wish he was on our station all the time, and we're very, very lucky that we get to tap into his expertise so often. Uh, we're going to try and answer as many of your questions as we can within the next 13 minutes. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Bill in Huntington. Hello, Bill. How you doing? Great. Morning, Bill. Now, all right. A lot of people say, you know, the solar eclipse, it upsets birds and stuff or it confuses them. Does a lunar eclipse do anything like that to animals? You know, I don't think so. And you bring up something interesting, Bill, that total solar eclipses. No, lunar eclipses, I don't have any information on. I've watched so many of them, and hopefully people will watch this and come up with their own deductions. But here's what happens at, at solar eclipses, for the people that don't know this. You'll notice just before the shadow, if you're in the totality path, you'll notice that this thing called shadow bands comes before the eclipse itself when it's total. What's that? So if you laid a sheet on the ground, Okay, or a big area in a parking lot, you'll see this rippling in the, in the, it looks coming across the ground like something moving. And what it is, is the temperature change that's going on. Because in a total solar eclipse, we measured it up in Rigby, Idaho. It was, say, 78 degrees when the sun was out. And when the solar eclipse came by, the temperature dropped 15 minutes in five minutes. So that's what you see. And we noticed animals in this the total solar eclipse, they'll be spooked. A lot of the cows and horses will look to go back to a barn you know, insects start like ants, particularly start to go back in that the eclipse don't last that long. But animals do. But no, there's nothing that I could say with a total, I mean, excuse me, with a total lunar eclipse. But I got to mention this, Bill, and Frank, this is interesting. Let me be very clear. The April 8th, 2024 eclipse actually winds up coming as close to New York State 
So people, hopefully in, with clear weather, in Buffalo, New York, so in other words, you don't have to travel too far. But the weather at that time of the year may not be cooperative. Let's hope it is. And in Montreal, in Canada. But here's one that will knock the park, guys. If we were around, well, this sounds ludicrous, May 1st, 2079, if we woke up right in New York City, if we were on Staten Island, Frank, right? If we were in Manhattan or downtown, let's say, by Wall Street, the sun or in the big tower, let's say the Empire State Building, the sun would rise on the horizon in a total eclipse. That would be totally freaky, but I'm not planning on being around in 27. <laughs> well, you never know. 800-848-WABC. Nick is in New Jersey. Hello, Nick. Oh, hi, Frank. Uh, great show. Yeah. Uh, question for Dr. Sky. With, all, with the space sure. travel, light speed, uh, with all the debris that's in space, meteorites, space jobs, you know, all different types of things. How could something possibly move at the speed of light and avoid, you know, particles in space, debris, and, every, and moving at 186,000 miles per second? Uh, how could something avoid hitting the space debris and not being totally annihilated? Well, the good part of it, Nick, let's say for a minute that the speed of light travel was plausible. Obviously, if you look at shows, of course, like Star Trek from the past and others, in space, they would have had to have some sort of navigation system that at least pushes us between point A and point B. But you're right. What if we ran into an errant small asteroid? Would there be a problem? Yes, there would. I don't know what would happen, but the truth of the matter is we don't have any real, you know, we don't have any real relativistic information on things that go faster than the speed of light. I don't like to give homework out, Nick, and, and to Frank and to the audience, but if you look up the word tachyon, it's allegedly particles that are in subatomic mass that theoretically could go faster than light. But every time I try to get somebody to qualify this, it always goes back to some intricate mathematical mm. formula. We need a Stephen Hawking, Nick, to be able to decipher this. And unfortunately, nothing. But if you were to go at that speed to answer the question, you probably would annihilate the object if it was small because of the mass and energy that you have going at that speed. Remember, what happens to you is that you theoretically would increase in mass as you move through space as you move through the time-space continuum. This is fascinating stuff, but I wish I really had a better answer. 800, thank you, Nick. 800-848-WABC. You know, I know that you mentioned the prime viewing hours for this uh, lunar eclipse on Sunday, and it sounds like with only 30% cloud cover, the w weather is going to be pretty cooperative and people are going to be able to see the yeah. lunar eclipse either with uh, the naked eye or with a pair of binoculars or with uh, a telescope, whatever the case may be, and maybe even photograph it with uh, with a smartphone or a camera or whatever, whatever they have access to. But for people that are, aren't situated to have a good view of the sky or they don't want to go outside, you mentioned some webcast options for for that. What are some good sources, not only for this lunar eclipse, but for future celestial phenomena that people should keep in mind when it comes to viewing things through their computer screen? Great question. I mean, I'll go I'll go to what the, the, the default for this would be NASA. If you just search their site, they always have something going on. But with the plethora of, of people out there with these video cameras today, I'm sure there's going to be a whole list right now that I recommend. When we get a little more sophisticated on our end, we certainly would do that. What we do, Frank, and we're going to be, just to remind the audience here, I mean, obviously people would want to make the journey, mm -hmm. but maybe they can't. We'll be in Sedona at a beautiful resort that we love, 
And why are we going to be there? Because not because of the resort, it's a great place, but we're going to be there. The guests are going to be treated to this. But for us, this is an evening event. This starts right after sunset. So we have a place there that we can see this, but hopefully the weather will be good too. And then as this eclipse for us is three hours earlier on all the timing, what we've talked about here in Arizona, we have friends that are, I'm not going to be at that, but they're actually going to have like a big barbecue and they're going to celebrate. And what's good about that for the earlier hours how about little kids that never get to see this kind of stuff? And hopefully with the holidays, I mean, with the Memorial Day coming and maybe school out of session, what better way to have fun with your kids and be able to, you know, show them something like this in that time zone? But don't forget, East Coast and the listeners of 77 WABC, you'll get another opportunity to do that. It not, it's not always going to be on December the 21st when it's freezing. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's good advice. By the way, in case we do have listeners in Arizona or people that do are nearby and want to make the trip to Sedona, how, is that open? Can anybody go to that? They can. I mean, we prefer that they make a reservation, sure. but I have nothing to do with that. I mean, my 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 skill set on this is just to show people this, and I'm a privilege and honor to do it. The place is called the Wild W I L D E Resort and Spa. Just Google it. I'm not looking at the computer right now. But the Wild Resort and Spa, it's a beautiful place. We've been there for 10 years. It's under a different name now, which is the new name, the Wild Resort. And it just has the romance. And I know so many listeners, believe me, every time we do these programs, Frank, I have so many people from Boston, New York, let's say Florida and Texas, that just love to come there. And again, I'm not part of the you know, Chamber of Commerce for Sedona, but it's a beautiful place. And maybe that's some other place in the future that we can all gather and uh, break bread and observe the sky from, I think, one of the most beautiful places I've seen since I've lived out here. But remember, I'm a native New Yorker myself, born in Jamaica, Queens, and I never forget my roots. Absolutely. Gino is in Manhattan. Hello, Gino. Hello. Good morning. I'm calling because I saw a solar eclipse total of 1970, March 7th. My father showed me through a welding glass through wow. a, from a welding helmet, and I saw it perfectly with no damage to my eyes. That's awesome. Gino, where were you? I was in New Jersey at the time, in central wow. New Jersey. Wow. And it was fantastic. You know, Gino, it brings tears to my eyes, and I'm being serious, Frank, on this one. March 7th, 1970, my father, who was a carpenter, took off work from his job, and I was shocked. He said to me, son, let's drive to Florida because we're going to be able to see this eclipse. Gino, March 7th, 1970. But guess what? We drove down there. I never went to Florida. And guess where we went? A little town called Perry, which was right in the central line. And as I stood there, it was pouring rain, and it got dark as night. I never got to see it. But, Gino, I'm with you, brother. That was an awesome eclipse, for, I'm sure you, you saw. But I got a whole rain, but I'll never forget my father's good intentions. Uh, before we run out of time here, since we did spend a, a little bit of time talking about uh, extraterrestrial theories or UAP theories, uh, May 17th, next week, uh, Congress is going to have their first hearings on this in 50 years. Now, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday. Do you think there's anything that folks should actually expect to come out of these hearings, or will this be some grandstanding politicians and some evasive Pentagon bureaucrats? What do you think? Well, it's a good question, Frank. I'm hoping that something good comes out of this, but unfortunately, the way things go in Washington, and not totally down on it, 
But I don't know. I don't feel totally confident. I think it's going to be a rehashing of things. But here, here's the bottom line, and everybody, I think, knows this. I don't think I'm coming on your show to give them any new revelation. There obviously is evidence out there to show this, and why are we not being told this? I mm. never understood that. So I'm hoping something good comes out of it, but at least give us something. I mean, can somebody at least show us a piece of metal or a piece of craft, allegedly like Roswell had, that has some hieroglyphic markings on it that some with a magic marker didn't put on there and let's know that something you know i don't think i'd lose sleep if somebody told me that there are extraterrestrials they visited the earth and they've been doing it since the time of the uh, egyptians and before that sure. i think it'd be a welcome treat sure uh talking with steve cates aka dr sky richard is in new jersey hello richard hey how you doing guys good good morning thank you richard uh, I wanted I wanted to uh, find out something about how gyroscopic effects work. I mean, when I was a kid, I had that little toy. You pull the string, and it would stand mm -hmm. there and be stable. And I drive motorcycles, and uh, you know the thing is very stable until you come down to a dead stop, and then it wants to fall over. And <laughs> yeah. I just wonder, I just wonder, in a nutshell, uh, you know, what makes this work? I've talked to other people, and they they just don't know the effects. And uh, I went on the internet. And it's so much mathematics. Uh, they at the end they just say accept it. But I just wondered, in a nutshell, would it work in space where there's no magnetic forces, uh, a total vacuum, uh, you know, stuff like that? Maybe you could just great give question. me a little bit of information. Yeah, great question. And we could cover this for hours. But no, in space you probably have no gyroscopic effect because you're right. There's no gravitational force of any kind. Simply on the Earth, we're talking about rotation of the Earth. There's something called a Coriolis effect, which directs winds and changes because of the Earth's rotation. But here's an interesting sidelight. I'm a motorcycle rider, and obviously I love my Yamaha FC1. People think I'm nuts at 66 being on this race rocket bike. <laughs> but no matter what bike you're on, when you come to a zero, I always have my legs planted on the ground because guess what? As you know, Richard, gravity works to its extreme, and all that weight's going to go on the side. But if I was in space, the interesting thing on gyroscopes is – Unless we were near a gravitational source or truly in space, you would not have any kind of gyroscopic effect effective because there's no there's no stability gravity within the field that you're in. It would be simply a blank. Well, uh, we are just about out of time, uh, Steve. The hour always flies by when yes. uh, whenever you're here. I really appreciate the time this morning. Uh, best My of luck pleasure. with uh, with the viewing in Sedona on yes. Sunday. We'll compare notes afterwards, and I'll look forward to our uh, our next conversation on the radio. Thank you, Frank. It's always a privilege to be here on 77 WABC. Thank you, and the listeners have a good morning. And what? Always remember to keep your eyes to the skies. We appreciate the time with you and your station. Absolutely. I want to encourage everybody uh, to uh, check out DrSky.com, but also the Dr. Sky blog at KTAR.com. Coming up next hour, uh, we're going to talk with Jeremy Murphy, one of our most popular guests, uh, author of a very provocative new book called F Off Chloe, Surviving the OMGs and FMLs in Your Media Career. Yeah, I guess in the words of Casey Kasem, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars.